What gift could bring us hope in what seems to be hopeless times? What could we receive that would fill the eternal longing in our hearts? What unmerited offering could be given to us that could wipe away our sin and bring salvation to our weary souls? Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is that perfect gift given to us. He brings life to the lifeless. He shines light in the darkest places, and we see the glory of God through him who came full of grace and truth. Out of God's fullness, Jesus came to bring a better gift. Right, Trinity Church, great to see you. How are you doing today? Good. I see our light and power friends over here today. Great to see you guys. Some very festive sweaters. I'm excited. Good day today. I want to welcome you, those who are watching online and those on lawn. We are grateful to get to be with you. It's funny to see the different changes in our weather. Today might be a day you want to be in the sun. Others are shifting around. So wherever you are, feel free to move about the cabin during the service if the sun has left you or is want, you're wanting it or whatever you need to be. But my name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. We are continuing in a series called Fullness, uh, talking about how Jesus came to bring a better gift. If you have a Bible, you can make your way to John chapter 1. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you find your way there, we'll dive in in a minute. If you have your phone, you can also go to our church app. On the app is a place that you can go to our notes for today. If you just click on resources and then go to sermon notes and you'll see today's date. Well, a couple of things. We want to thank the worship team. Can we thank them again for the great job they do week in and week out? Again, helping us be preoccupied with Jesus. On our worship team today, my good friends right down in front, Greg and Lane Schneider, it is their 40th wedding anniversary today. So we are celebrating with you guys. That's awesome. And I was going to let you know today, they actually share an anniversary with another couple. Take a look at this picture. And uh, back in the day, uh, that was Todd and Joanna, 28 years ago today uh, at a church right up the road in Yukaipa. And on a Sunday, we got married on a Sunday, so it was kind of wild to think about a little bit this morning. So I am so grateful for this woman that God has the best thing God has ever given me in my life. And uh, so grateful for the way that she has continued to be the source of confidence, support, loyalty, and love. And I would say to you, we have been through a lot in uh, 2020 for a host of reasons, and there is no person who has given me just more ability to keep putting one foot in front of the next than her. So thank you, babe. So I'm grateful uh, so much for her and that we get to celebrate a little bit today in a very weird way. Where do you want to get takeout from? That's kind of the anniversary today. It's how it is, right? It's where it is. Hey, I also want to thank Steve Springstead and Brian Lentz for the great job on this backdrop. Can we thank them for that? Just appreciate that all happened this last week and the great job and then getting the banner up and just very festive uh, for our time together today. So we're super grateful for that and that we can celebrate that way. And last thing, just to say briefly, 
I want to uh, congratulate my rivals, USC, for a job well done in football yesterday. I see you, every USC garment you could be wearing, you are today. Way to go, I'm a good loser, so I can re relate. But uh, it is a good day today. So we're gonna dive in today. What we've been doing in this series, if you're just joining us for the first time, we started last week talking about this incredible sense of emptiness that so many people have felt this year for, for obvious reasons. And in it, we chose to look at this advent, this birth of Jesus, through a lens that could uniquely address some of the issues that we are especially feeling this year. And we talked about out of the fullness of who Jesus is and what he came to bring, we can be filled anew. And that is my hope and prayer for you over this course of the month of December, through our weekend gatherings, these services, through our Christmas Eve services, that you would be able to be someone who is filled anew with the goodness of God. Jesus came to bring a better gift, and even in the text that we'll look at next week, a grace in place of grace already given. So that's what we're talking about in this series. And uh, a quick recap as we begin, begun last week, we began in the beginning. Other gospel accounts go back as far as even Adam or Abraham and Jesus' lineage. John goes back literally to creation. In the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word, Jesus, was God. And so we began all the way that far back and we talked about how he is and set up even this week, he is the light, the life that was the light of all humanity. You can see on the screen in your notes the kind of the takeaway we had last week was when we realize uh, who the giver is, it makes the gift all the more significant. We realize that Jesus is the embodiment. He is the fullness of God demonstrated to us so that we might know the Father better. Today, John presents Jesus as the light that shines into the darkness and provides light to everyone. But yet what we'll see today is that people became aware, they became introduced to the light and still yet rejected it. And we'll kind of talk about what that looks like. So if your Bibles are open, John chapter 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So let's kind of break this down. Like we said, this month we're getting crazy. No three points, no now what statement. Just we're trying a, a little bit of variety. So that first verse, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Knowing that John had just written about Jesus's role in creation, remember last week we saw not only was Jesus present prior to creation, all things were made through him. So it makes sense that he would hearken back to even the first act of creation. In your notes, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse three, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good and he separated 
the light from the darkness. So John kind of having that in the beginning in mind harkens back to the first creative act of God announcing, God speaking light into existence. It's powerful that John chooses a present active form of the verb to shine, noting that all of life and light that is given to mankind continues, not only started with Jesus, but continues to receive from him today. Not only demonstrating Jesus's eternal nature, but the ongoing way, like a couple of references we looked at last week in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1, the way he continues to sustain all things, all things in terms of creation and all things in terms of God's salvation. So what we mentioned last week is that John is going to utilize this image of light, uh, the image of light all throughout his gospel. He's going to pull this through in all kinds of ways, and he's going to do it more than just contrasting light with darkness, but even ascribing darkness to the forces that are actually opposing him. Look at this, not only from, by the way, the enemy, but even as Chris mentioned earlier today, even sometimes from ourselves. John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. John chapter 8, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in John 12, 36, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So Jesus has much to say throughout the gospel of John, not only ascribing light as coming from himself, but that we can be included, we can be brought into the light because of what he's done for us. It's that last phrase in what we read in verse 5 that's so significant, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. Our English translation, that phrase, has not overcome it, comes from a Greek word that means to grasp, grasp something in a forceful or firm manner. Some of your English translations today might have said, and the darkness has not understood it. And that's also a, an understandable, or it's a like uh, definition of that Greek word, that idea of comprehending something. But I think the word in the NIV is so much more accurate because it's so much more powerful. The darkness has not been able to lay hands and to be able to oppose, be able to win against the light. It's powerful to see the kind of connection of light that we're talking about. It's not the kind of light shining in a dark forest that only illuminates a small portion. Take a look at this picture for those of you who can see. And if you can't see much, that's on purpose. Because all that's there is just a flashlight, just a ray of light in what's otherwise a dark, dark wooded area. 
And, and this is not the way that this is talking about. This is, by the way, great movie magic, right? Whenever a, a director doesn't want you to see beyond what the person on film can see, this just ray of light that all of a sudden there's darkness everywhere else and you only get to see what the light is shining onto. This is not the idea presented in John chapter one. Instead, it's the kind of light that brings everything into view. Take a look at this sunrise and this is what we're talking about. Everything is illuminated. Everything is made to be able to see because this light is so bright. But I want to go back to the slide before because I think that most of us feel, and, and by the way, we're still in 2020. We sometimes talk about it. I know the year is wrapping up, but the realities and the challenges of 2020 are still living among us. And, and for most of us in this season, we have felt like this is the light that we've been given. Very little amount of understanding, very little amount of clarity. We have literally a worldwide disease that we are trying to get our arms around, trying to figure out how to combat. And even though there's a vaccine on the way, there's still this reality of so much unknown. Maybe it's been the moving goalposts of restrictions that literally change seemingly day to day or week to week that just have us in a place of confusion. I don't know what is okay today that was different than yesterday. The reality of living in a, an election year and during the campaign promise, promises, who's promising what about what? And even an election that is still being disputed. Talk about confusing. Talk about a shroud of darkness where there's not light and clarity. Just the reality of the challenges that you personally have faced. And being able to know, can you go to work today? Do you still have a job? For those who are business owners, am I going to make it? All these types of things have been in, and this is what this year has felt like, so little light in such a dark and confusing time. We feel a lot more like that. And the question is, what do you do? What do you do in your life when they're shrouded by these senses of challenge, shrouded by this sense of confusion, shrouded by a sense of just a lack of clarity? What do you do when you're in those moments and are wondering, how in the world do I keep putting a foot forward? Well, I would tell you today, you do what my friend Ted did. A couple of weeks ago, I get a phone call out of the blue from a guy from the church that I served at up in the desert named Ted. Ted and I talked for about a half an hour. And I know Ted, I, I've been on a journey with him and his walk with the Lord. The very first time I sat across the table from Ted, he was frustrated because his wife wanted to follow Jesus and he was just diehard about a different religion that he was very much involved in and was super frustrated that she wouldn't change to adhere to what his belief system was. We had some powerful conversations and I would say over the course, I probably knew him for about 10 of my 14 years there. And over the course of time before I left, I had the incredible privilege of being able to see God work miracles in his son's life with multiple brain tumors and the way he was able to be delivered the sweetest kid you've ever met is Joey. But on top of that, to be able to baptize Ted because he would put his faith in Jesus as well. So Ted calls me out of the blue. I haven't been at High Desert Church for four and a half years, but he calls me out of the blue and he says, Todd, I am so frustrated. I am so confused. 
I am so just on edge of not knowing what to do and how to live. How do I get more faith? That's like lobbing me a softball. I'll take that all day long because it wasn't full of criticism. It wasn't full of, I can't, I can't. It wasn't full of anger. It was an honest question. How do I have more faith to follow Jesus more consistently and more fully in my life because I'm struggling? Now, when I say lobbing me a softball, I don't mean to say that's an easy answer, but I loved his heart. It reminded me, interestingly enough, I told Ted, I said, Ted, you remind me very much of a guy in the Bible that when Jesus approached him, had a son who was being afflicted and he asked Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus talked to him about faith and this is what he said. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I have a degree of faith, Jesus, but it's not enough to believe you for this. And I told Ted, I said, Ted, that's like the question you're asking today. We're not talking about if you doubt that Jesus is who he said he was, or if you doubt that Jesus really is the savior of the world, but you're doubting how do you trust him? How do you follow him in these circumstances? Lord, I have faith, but I need more. And that was such a rich conversation of just getting to affirm him, getting to tell him from scripture at the end of the day. And this is the one thing I have in your notes today to fill in. At the end of the day, this is what it comes down to in a place we don't often like to live, but it's the truth. When we have diminished light, we need more faith. When we have diminished light, we need more faith. And here's the simple reason why. In your notes, I have a quote. Mike Erie wrote a book called Astonished, and this line was worth the whole book to me. When he simply said this, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but sight. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but sight. I don't need faith for the fact that I'm wondering if I can hold my cell phone today. I don't need faith for that. It's visible to me. It's absolutely, it's concrete. When I need faith is when I can't see it and I don't know where it is, which happens often. Where there's limited vision, where there is darkness, there's the need for more faith. And that's been one of our greatest challenges this year that I've realized in my life, God, I really like independence. God, I really like to be able to live my life with a whole set of understandings that I think I'm in control of. But you keep pulling all of those planks out from my life. And guess what? I'm having to learn how to trust you for everyday things I didn't think I had to trust you for. And what I'm realizing in this journey like you are, that's actually not a bad thing. We push against it and we think we're actually in control of a lot of things. This year has taught us so much. And the reality is the more that we rely upon God, the greater ability we have to see him be strong in our lives. Let's continue on with our passage, verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So don't get the two Johns in this case confused. John the author of this gospel and John the Baptist. Interestingly enough, John the author will never use his name in 21 chapters of this uh, gospel. 
never calls himself by his name. So we'll know this is John the baptizer that he's talking about. And what we see is that John shifts his attention to this messenger or this witness of the light, this John the Baptist. And in it, we find in, the, in Luke's account, Luke gives all kinds of background information of the prophecies made about John and, and how he was going to come into the world. This actually just comes very suddenly in the gospel of John. And I don't know what it's like for your life. There have probably been times we talk sometimes about when it rains, it pours, right? And, and usually we mean that negatively. Think of it more this way, though. What about a time in your life when, when things were just kind of going at some... Let's think back to years ago when things were going back at a relatively normal rate. And then all of a sudden, you just had a lot of, of decisions to make and a lot of information to try to deal with all at once. It wasn't necessarily bad news. It was just like an avalanche of information and decisions. See, they talk about the last uh, kind of prophetic word and, and utterance of God written in scriptures, the book of Malachi, 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. 400 years. We call it these 400 silent years where we don't hear of God's supernatural work or revelation. A very, you call it a very dark time in that regard. And then all of a sudden, all of these prophetic things start happening. Angels appear out of nowhere and start talking to John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, and tell him of this amazing thing that he's going to do, that he's actually going to have a son that's going to prepare the way for Messiah. Gabriel then also goes to Mary and tells Mary, you are going to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. And it's blowing her mind for good reason. Another angel comes to her fiance, Joseph, and, and says to Joseph, Mary is pregnant and, and it's a supernatural thing. You are to receive her as your wife and raise this child as your own. All of these things just coming, all this revelation coming out of nowhere, talk about light in the darkness, and it all happens within weeks and months of one another after 400 years of silence. We know that there were numerous prophecies given about Messiah's arrival, which we'll keep looking at this month of December, but there were also numerous prophecies given about this forerunner, about this messenger, about this witness named John. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." And then in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So two obvious prophecies about a forerunner, about someone, a messenger coming in advance before Messiah would arrive. We see that this writer, the, the author John, he adds more about this prophecy. He says he came as a witness to testify concerning that light. The original word translated in our English Bibles as witness means exactly what you think it means, to bear testimony on behalf of another. What's fascinating, though, this original Greek word is the word from which we get our English word martyr. 
martyr is the, the Greek kind of word translated, transposed into English. And it's interesting, that's what its basic uh, meaning is. We always think a martyr as someone who gives up their life, but the real essence of the word is someone who bears witness. Someone who says, this is true. I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm bearing witness. And the interesting thing about John the baptizer is that he was a martyr in both ways. He was a witness to the life, the light, and would ultimately give his life because of that witness. So this is what uh, John is identifying about him. And this is what's so powerful to me. What's the purpose of John's witness? So that through Jesus, all might believe. I've told you before, I'm just a huge fan of understanding God's purposes. And, and to a fault, right? Sometimes in the midst of challenges, I want to know God's purposes right now. And God is often saying, nah, it's not going to happen right now. Maybe later, but surely not right now. But what I love about scripture is there are a whole bunch of purpose statements in scripture. I don't have to scratch my head and wonder about it. It lays it out. God need not explain himself to us as created beings, but he loves to. He loves to connect the dots. He loves to help us understand. John came as a witness so that people would believe in the name of Jesus. And the interesting thing is where John the baptizer, we see that was his purpose of being this messenger, this forerunner, this witness. It actually is the same kind of purpose that John, the gospel writer, John, the author of this book, has for writing this book. John, more than any other gospel author, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, he will give purpose statement after purpose statement, helping us understand what is God's intent What's he up to? And this is where you really put the whole purpose of John's gospel together. John 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these, these intentional ones I've included are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. John was really clear. I'm writing this gospel for one big reason. I want you to believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that by believing, you'd have life. Finally today, back to our original text, verse nine. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. John identifies the real or genuine quality of this life, this light that he's describing and making the connection back to what we saw last week. Last week, we saw a phrase, the life was the light to all mankind. John's just saying that in a different way. He's saying all of life, or in this case, all of light emanates from a source. Jesus is that source. He graciously gives to all the blessing of clarity and illumination. And some, like many of us gathered here today, have not only sensed, not only become aware of the light, but we've responded to it. We've embraced that light and stepped into it, like we saw earlier today, becoming the children of God. Not because we're so moral, not because we're so smart, not because we're so religious, simply because the light's been made known to us and we've responded in faith. 
one of the new Christmas songs this year. I hope you've been able to download a few on uh, whatever kind of music platform you use. But one that I've really appreciated is a song called Christmas Day by Chris Tomlin. And in it, what I appreciate, the first time I listened to it, what kind of resonated for me was, this is how it was supposed to be. <laughs> what Christmas morning was supposed to be were the people rejoicing, the people praising God and saying, God, you have delivered, you have promised, you have made good on it, Messiah's come. We know from the gospel accounts that didn't happen, except for a few shepherds who were scared to death at seeing some angels and showed up to, to be present. Outside of that, no one rejoiced. No one was aware it was like any other day. But Christmas Day has this great lyric that talks about this is how, Lord, we respond now, knowing what we know and how, why we get to celebrate Christmas the way we do. And the tone really is captured in the prophet Isaiah. This is what he said in Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, look at their response, and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, how? As people rejoice at the harvest. God, you supplied in this powerful way. As warriors rejoice in dividing the plunder, and just a few verses later, for unto us is born a child. So in the context of Isaiah chapter 9, this is how it begins. There will be great and appropriate rejoicing when you bring this Messiah, when you deliver him to us. John goes on to mention yet another big theme that we'll see carried out again more and more throughout his gospel, and that's this phrase, the world. The world. The Greek word for that is the word cosmos. And it's interesting, so when you think almost that, you think of the cosmos more like the universe. That Greek word, though, basically means when things are arranged or when things are orderly. Maybe a similar sounding word is our English word cosmetics, right? And that kind of makes sense, right? I've got to get my face arranged, <laughs> as it were. And that's kind of the idea of the word. So don't think necessarily universe, think orderly arrangement, okay? So that's kind of what we're talking about. And so this idea of the world, John's going to use it in multiple ways in his gospel. Sometimes he's going to talk about the exact context in which people find themselves. Sometimes he'll use the phrase the world in relation to the inhabitants of the world, people. And other times he'll talk about the world as the system that's actually in opposition to God himself, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So this word world needs to be contextualized every time. And, and this time what we're looking at primarily is really those last two ideas, both the inhabitants of the world as well as the system that stands in opposition, the fallenness and brokenness and sinfulness of our world that stands in opposition. Jesus came into that world, but that world received him not. John describes the tragic irony of this, these next words that state, though Jesus made the world, the world did not recognize him. 
And you know, this is really the essence of the Gospel of John. What the rest of the book of John goes on to talk about are all of these people that have interactions with Jesus. And for some of them, as they interact with Jesus, they at first might be confused. They are walking in darkness. But as it comes about in an interaction with him, as they hear his teaching or see him do miracles or just are drawn to his love for them, they actually step into the light and they respond in faith. This really is the Messiah. There are many other people that come in contact with Jesus in his gospel, this gospel of John. And as they do, they have the same amount of illumination, the same amount of revelation, but they stiff arm Jesus and they say, you're not who I thought you would be. You're not this idea of what I thought Messiah was going to be about and not only reject him, but ultimately come to a point of opposing him all the way to his execution. So two very different types of responses. And the reality is, is that's no different than the day we live in today. That many of us that are here today, at some point in your life, you have come in contact with the light. And it might have been that a friend or a family member, might have been someone at a church, might have been a teacher, a coach. Someone began to introduce you to this amazingly great news that there is a God, he loves you, and he loves you so much that he actually put his son on a cross to take what you deserved. As a result, you can be his child when you put your faith in what Jesus accomplished for you. You heard that news and maybe the first time you didn't respond, maybe the eighth time you didn't respond, maybe the 80th time you didn't respond, but at some point you said that, that is what I've been looking for. That is what I need. That is the truth. And the light became apparent to you. There are people in your relational world that are still stiff arming Jesus and saying, you know what? And you have maybe been not only praying for them, but even sharing with them, you have been that kind of John the baptizer, that kind of witness to the light in their lives, but there's still a stiff arm and there's still a no thanks. There's still a, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not the truth. And they remain in darkness, not even aware of the darkness because it just seemed normal their whole lives. Here's what I wanna to say to you. We believe that God has called us to be a people who influence our worlds with Jesus. And I want you to hear today that success, quote unquote success, as far as being a witness of Jesus in your relational world is not based on numbers. It's not based on responses because I read my Bible that the people in your relational world are spiritually dead. You can't wake the dead. That's only something God can do. But God in his amazing just generosity and kindness actually includes us, allows us to be partners in that process of people putting their faith in him because of the way we pray for them and because of the way we love them and because of the way we share with them. We are privileged to have the role of being ambassadors in our lives, in their lives, in our world. And so I wanna to put to you today in just a moment, I'm gonna close our service by praying. And as I often do, I'm going to 
give people who are watching online and those on lawn to respond to this incredibly great news of the gospel. But if you're here today and you have already put your faith in Jesus, can I give you a different assignment? Can I encourage you to think of someone, get a name and a face in your mind, someone in your relational world who hasn't yet put their faith in Jesus? And when I'm praying these ABCs, would you be praying for them? Would you be praying, God, would you wake the dead? God, would you cause the light to shine on them that they would see that you are what they've always been looking for? And by the way, I don't think that's a bad idea. Every single week, when I give people the opportunity to respond to the gospel, to think of people in your world and be praying for them in that same moment. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people that, as we keep seeing in this gospel of John, we keep seeing the amazing fullness that you demonstrated in the person of Jesus. Last week we saw that he is full of life. Today we see he is full of light, light that brings clarity, light that brings understanding, light that demonstrates and shows truth so that we can respond in a world that has been so chaotic, so confused, and so muddied this year. So my prayer is, would we continue to value you? Would we continue to thank you for this gift of Jesus, who indeed came to bring a better gift. And if you're here today and, and you think of what we've said today, and we think of the fact that there is a God who does love you, and in the brokenness of sin and that relationship being separated actually went ahead of you and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins, put his son on a cross that you deserved, you actually can respond to that great news today by A, admitting, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Admitting that you know that you have not lived a life that you can stand before God and be accepted by him. And when you admit that, you're simply admitting like everyone else that you are a broken, sinful human being. B, believe. Believe that Jesus is this only savior available. Believe that he lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He was raised supernaturally on the third day. Believe that Jesus is who this gospel of John tells us he is. And see is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I recognize how much I need you. I recognize that it's not putting confidence in how much I can earn or how much I can try to be good. Instead, I say I can't be I'm hopeless aside from what you did for me. So I choose to put my faith and trust in what you've done on my behalf. And I wanna live a life now unto you, handing over the reins of my life to follow you. That's the gospel and a response to it. And my prayer is if you've never made that decision, don't leave this place today until you do. Father, we love you, thank you, thank you for a season to get to celebrate your arrival among us. We pray in Jesus' great name, amen.